Oh, wow, that was very bright. Oh, my goodness. How are we all doing? Good morning. I don't know if I can hear you, but I said good morning. How are we all doing? Are we well? Are we good? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, are you well? Are you good? Now, I know um, it was really funny, actually, when, when Sean announced that I was preaching, everyone cheered, but whenever I sing, it seems like no one cheers. What's going on? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm incredibly privileged today to be able to share a message. I'm so excited. I know that um, I've been prepping this for maybe a good month or so now, um, and I put a lot of sweat and tears into it, and I just feel like God is going to do something in this house today. Um, and like I said, I'm used to singing, but today I'm talking, so you can decide at the end which one you think is worse out of the two. You can have a little chat amongst yourselves and decide what you think. Um, and I'm going to be speaking today uh, from the Old Testament. Dun, dun, dun. It's going to be okay. Everyone calm down, all right? Um, I'm going to be speaking uh, today from 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to it right now, just get yourself ready. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I brought mine. Everything's going to be okay. And also on, this, on the screen, you're going to be able to read along as well. Now, at the start, um, when it came to the, the question, we talked a little bit about what your favorite song is to sing in the shower. Has anyone got any? Maybe just shout some out for me. Singing in the rain. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that one. Thank it, it, it wasn't me. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, I know that one. That's good. That's not bad. Steve, have you got one? I can see you laughing away. No? You don't have one? Well, the reason why I wanted you to think a little bit about singing is because today I'm going to be talking about the rhythm of worship. And what happens is sometimes when we think about worship, the first thing that we think of is singing. We think of going to church sing some great songs by the band and the team, and we get maybe our favorite worship songs, maybe we have our favorite melodies or whatever it might be. Here's what I want you to do for a second. I want you to take the idea of sung worship, I want you to take it out of your head, and I want you to chuck it right out the window for a second. Can everyone do that for me? Maybe just do it right now, actions, just chuck it away. Because, of course, sung worship is an aspect of worship. But today, I want to talk about what true worship looks like when it comes to our lives. And as a church, we've been talking about the rhythms, and we've been doing, uh, I'm actually at the final one. I get the privilege of doing the final one. And we've talked about things like prayer. We talked about fasting. We've talked about trust in God. We've talked about so many different things. And like I said, I want to talk a little bit about worship. And so if you want to turn to your Bibles right now to 1 Kings chapter 18, and before that, I'm just going to pray real quick. So here we go. Father, I just thank you that you are here in this place right now. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is just tangible. Lord God, I just ask right now that this message would just fall on listening ears. Lord, I just ask right now that your Holy Spirit would just fill us up. Lord, I ask that we would learn something brand new from your word and that you would do a new thing. Let your Holy Spirit just move right now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Now, I know you just said amen, and you said it with conviction. I want to let you know, if you agree with me today, would you say amen? Would you do it? Amen. The reason why is not because it's the Tom Morrison show. It's not so that I can be like, look at me, I've got some amens. But it's because when we say amen, it is us saying, so be it. God, come and do it in my life. And what you're doing is you're edifying your spirit to tune in with heaven, and you're saying, God, I agree. I want that in my life as well. Sound good? Amen? 
Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, before I read, there's some context that's really important. Whenever we read the Bible, really important that we look at the context. Otherwise, it's a bit like watching a movie, getting to the very end before you do the start. And then you're like, what's going on? How do, what's happened in the movie, right? And so, really important, in this time, we're in Israel, and Israel is in a state where they are against God. They've turned their hearts and their minds away from God, and instead, they're focusing on a God called Baal. Everyone say Baal. Now, Baal was the God of rainstorms, bit weird, the God of the weather, and he was also the God of fertility, sex. I just said sex in church, oh my goodness. He was the God of fertility, rainstorms, and the weather. And what happened was, as they had turned away from God, and they were focusing on him, because there was a man called Elijah, and he went to the king, and he said to him in 1 Kings chapter 17, that because of the fact that you've turned away from God, there's going to be no rain for three years. Now, I've never been to Israel, but I know it's pretty hot. No rain, not a good sign. The land is now parched, which means that people can't have water, people are dying. There's chaos in Israel. They've turned away from God, and in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has been told to go to King Ahab and speak to him again. All right? Everyone on the same page? Everyone good? Let's read. So it says this in chapter 18, verse 16. It says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Oof, that's a bit harsh. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have zing. That's a good comeback, right? You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the balls. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word for all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Avengers assemble, right? The whole team. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver? Everyone say waver. Between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God... Follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a normal Israelite. There's been no rain for three years. All of a sudden, Elijah has come back, the man that basically took the rain away, and he's called the king out to go to Mount Carmel. There's going to be a big final showdown. This is a big deal. Put yourself in the mind right now. You'd be like, oh, are you ready for, are you ready for the, on Saturday, are you ready? Because Elijah's coming with, with the king. Are you ready on Saturday? Because we need to get to Mount Carmel. Are you, are you ready? Mount Carmel, Saturday, everyone be prepared. God is going to bring the rain back. Everything's going to be great. The rain's coming back. There's going to be a miracle. Oh, guys, there's going to be such a blessing. Maybe we'll get there. We'll get a blessing. We'll get, we'll get some favor from God if we get there. Come on, quick. We need to go quick. I can't wait for Saturday. Sleepless nights, ready and prepared. The people, they were ready. The whole of Israel pretty much had gathered because they wanted to receive something from God. But all of a sudden, Elijah says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what I signed up for. 
Where's the, where's the rain? Whoa, 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 my miracle, where's that? Where's that coming? But instead, Elijah calls them out because the people said nothing because they weren't ready to commit. Now, Baal, like I said before, this idol, an idol is something that you put your trust in or your faith in that isn't God. What it is, is it's a substitute for God's provision. And Baal let them do whatever they wanted. They could drink what they wanted, eat what they wanted, sleep with whoever they wanted, have relationships with whoever they wanted. They could do anything without any form of commitment. But as soon as Elijah comes and says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? They don't say anything. They go a little bit silent. Because they were always ready for the miracle. They were always ready for a blessing. They were always ready for the favor of God. But when it came to commitment, they didn't want to commit. You know what true worship is? True worship is commitment to God's word. We find that what Elijah says in verse 18. He says, you have abandoned the Lord's commands. It says, you have abandoned the Lord's commands. True worship is commitment to God's word. They didn't want to commit. They wanted the blessing without the commitment. And the thing is, the word of God is saying, how long are we going to waver between two opinions? God wants your full heart, your full attention, your full mind. He doesn't want you to be struggling with different idols. And you might be thinking, Tom, how does this have anything to do with me? And I have any issue worshiping the God of rainstorms or the God of rain and the weather. I don't have a little statue up in my house or anything like that. But what did I say before? An idol is a substitute for God's provision. Maybe there's some other things that are equivalents in our lives that are idols that we can look to for provision from God. What is the ball equivalent in your life today? Maybe the ball we have is money and the pursuit of riches. Maybe it's in alcohol and drugs. Maybe it's in our finances and the stability of them or job security, or career, whatever it might be. Maybe you could just think to that right now. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, to, to kind of push that point, is that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and Paul, and ball, right? And so this is what it's saying. Let's continue the story. So 18, verse 22 to 29. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. That's quite a lot. God, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, yeah, that's, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good. Elijah said to the prophet of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of the Baal from morning till evening. Baal, answer us. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And no one paid any attention. Hmm. I just feel like the Holy Spirit, this isn't even part of my message, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit, when someone just read that just then, they just felt like God doesn't pay them any attention. 
Have you ever felt maybe that way that there's no attention? Maybe you haven't had an answer from God in a long time. You've been shouting. You've been screaming, asking for God for a miracle. But no one, you feel like no one's paying attention. I just want to tell you that God pays attention to you. God loves you so much. He knows you by name. He knows your circumstances. He knows the situation that you're in. And I'm telling you right now that he is paying full attention to you. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. Lean in. Everyone lean in. Sean, lean in. Come on, lean in. Steve, lean in. Di, lean in. Caitlin, you're going to make sure you're leaning in. Everybody lean in. Come on, everyone lean in. They came to him. And he, what did he do? Did he shout really loud? Did he, did he, oh, I know what he did. He called the worship team up. That's what he did. He got the best. We started saying, mighty to save, savior. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? Did he sing Holy Spirit over and over again? You're welcome here like a thousand times. No. What did he do? The Bible says he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. Now, if you know some theology, it's going to bore you a little bit, but please stay with me. If you know some theology, then you'll know that the altar of God is a sacred place in the Old Testament of worship. It is the place of worship. Now, this is before Jesus, before any of that, and so... They had to, in order to deal with their sin, they had to sacrifice animals on the altar of God. But here you see in this chapter that all of a sudden the altar needed to be repaired, which means that the people of Israel, they weren't dealing with their sin. It meant that their personal relationship with God had been destroyed. They neglected it. Um, it, was, it represented a place of worship, but all of a sudden, it was in disarray. They had let the altar become destroyed. Elijah knew that before you could call on God, the altar of God had to be repaired. That was the first order of business. Their relationship with God first, before you can call on the blessing, before you can call on the miracle, before you can say, Lord, and get the holy goosebumps, the first thing that needed to happen is that I needed to deal with sin. It needed to put God back to being God in our lives. That was the most important thing. And so my question to you is, what is the state of your personal altar, which also signifies the state of your personal relationship with God? Is it in a bit of disarray? Is it in a bit of chaos right now? Does it need to be repaired? And if your personal altar needs to be repaired, will you take the time to repair the altar? Now you think to me, Tom, that's great, but how the heck do I repair an altar? Does that mean I have to go home, get myself some stone, get myself some wood, go into my house and create a nice, beautiful wooden altar so that I can sacrifice animals to it? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Don't worry. This would be a weird church if I did say that. We don't physically need to do so. God knew that we are people that fail often. And that the sacrifice of animals is just not enough. Because otherwise, we'd have to sacrifice every single... How many animals that we have in the world? They'd be gone, right? They'd all be gone. Um, we don't, so he knew that would be the case. 
He knew he couldn't do it in your own strength. So he sent his only son so that he would die as a holy sacrifice on an altar made of wood, the cross of Christ, so that you can be free of your sin and can daily receive the forgiveness of your sins. In Hebrews 13 verse 10, it says, we have an altar, the cross where Christ was sacrificed, where those who continue to seek salvation by obeying Jewish laws can never be helped. So we have to ask for repentance daily. So what was my point one? Worship is true commitment to God's word. And point number two is simple. It's time for us to make sure that we put God as God in our lives, that we repair that altar, that we take the time daily to pray as we talked about these rhythms, to fast, to ask for forgiveness, to believe that God can do all things in my life and in your life. And when we do that, that is true worship to God. He didn't call the worship team up. The worship, believe me, I would have a worship set the whole day, right? Believe me. But I'm telling you today, the first thing is commit to God's word. And the second thing is making sure that we have an altar that we put to God, which is Jesus, that we focus our attention on him daily and we ask and deal with our sin. Because otherwise, we can say, God's good. Yeah, you know, and we can be like those Israelites that kind of sway between the two, between our idols and between the things that we have in God. Okay, are you all with me? Yeah? Yeah? Let's finish the story then, shall we? So it doesn't finish there. In 1 Kings 18, 31 to 40, it says this. It says, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seer of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Whoa, 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 guys. I don't know anything about the outdoors. Believe me, I'm telling you right now. Do I look like a person that knows anything about the outdoors? Really, I've got the whitest pants on you've ever seen in your life. I don't know how to start a fire. Not a clue. If you put me in the wilderness right now with Bear Grylls, Bear Grylls would probably look at me and go, what, what, what am I going to do with this guy? All right? He'd probably just, you know, cook me up and eat me. I don't know, something like that. Um, the thing is, I don't know anything about making a fire. But what I do know, in my limited knowledge, is that you don't put water on a fire. Right? That'd be a bit weird. It's a bit strange to do that. But here we have Elijah pouring four large jars of water three times. That's a bit, that's a bit a lot, right? Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Remember, commitment to God's word, right? He's not saying I did this so that, you know, because I did it. He's going back to the God and committing to God's word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. That's a, that's a lot. The wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. 
And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know what I find funny in this set of verses? Is that at no point did it say, God then said to Elijah, put four, water, put four jars of water and pour them on. It doesn't say that. At no point does God command him to do that. Elijah is acting out of faith. It says Elijah wasn't even asked by God to do the things he did. He did it because he had faith to believe that God would come through for him. Elijah had faith to believe that God was bigger. He chose to pour water on the altar. And what he, did, what he was really doing, he was pouring faith. He was pouring his expectation onto the altar. His whole perspective was completely different. He wanted to make sure he possibly couldn't get the credit. But the thing is, when I read this again, I always, whenever I read this message, I always think, oh, wasn't it cool that God answered by fire? And you always want to kind of skip to that part. And you go, oh, you know. And God was really bigger because you saw the fire. But when I read it again, I saw that Elijah was actually giving everything to God in that moment. His worship was a faith-filled sacrifice. What he was doing is, you've got to remember, what did I say before in the context? Water. There's a drought. There's been no rain for three years. And here we have Elijah taking all the water. Imagine the people. What are you doing with that water? I kind of need that to survive. Did you mind? He's taking everything, their whole life source, everything that they need, the thing that was giving them safety was the water to be able to survive. He takes that and he sacrifices it to show that God is good. But when I read it again, I realize that what he's actually doing, he's given everything to God. Worship is a faith-filled sacrifice saying, you know what, even though I might not gain anything from this, even though I might not see the fruits of my worship, still I'm going to pour out on the altar of God my faith, my expectation, knowing that God is going to answer me. And it might not be tomorrow, it might not be today, it might not be in 10 years, 15 years, but worship has a different perspective which says, you know what, I believe that my God will answer me. And when I read this message again, I understand that, that true worship is a faith-filled sacrifice. Maybe just get the, the, the band and the keys up right now. And it says, true worship, it's serving coffee on a Sunday with a faith-filled expectation that God can move right here, right now. Worship is a faith-filled sacrifice of serving on a car park team in the pouring down rain and cold because... I'm expectant that God is going to answer and move in church on a Sunday. Worship is a sacrifice. What are you going to sacrifice to God today? Elijah pours out his expectation. Maybe you've got some expectations that you need to pour on the altar today. And I promise you, when you repair the altar, and when you commit your life, fully to God and to his word, when you sacrifice your desires and your idols on the cross of Jesus and you repent daily, when you truly worship God, God will answer you with fire. Amen? 
And there's times in our lives when we look to other things for provision. Just like the people of Israel, they looked to Baal because they wanted an answer to prayer. And maybe right now, you've got some difficult circumstances and I don't take them lightly, I promise you, I don't. There's some hardships in life that we go through every single day. Hmm. And God is saying, if you just commit to me, if you just commit to my word and my commands and you trust in me, if you just want to take the daily time to rebuild the altar of, that, of your life and to focus your worship and your sacrifice to God, he says, I will answer you with fire. Your circumstances are not bigger than God. That's what true worship is. The thing is, sometimes what we do is we rush it and we look straight to the blessing and the miracle. And you say, you know what, if I just sing really loud, if I just close my eyes and bow my head and lift my hands, God will answer me. Maybe. If I just sing really loud, you know? But actually... It takes so much more than just that. It's not just the worship team on a Sunday. And believe me, I love the worship team. It's more than that. And so here's what I would love to do. Because I think a message like this, when it comes to worship, it's important that we have a response to God's word. So maybe right now, if we just close our eyes, maybe we just bow our head if you feel comfortable. Just close your eyes, bow your head. Every single person in the room right now, no one looking. This is a moment between us and between God. And maybe you've been listening to this message and you've been resonating maybe with some of the things that I've been saying. Man, I've been pursuing money for too long, looking for that. Maybe my career. Maybe I'm just envious sometimes of what others around me are doing. Maybe if I just sing loud enough. Maybe if I have this relationship or that relationship, maybe then I'll get the answers that I'm looking for. God is saying it's time for you to put them aside. Stop wavering between those opinions and focus your attention on me. And so here's what we're going to do, church. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Here's what we're going to do. If that is you today, that you've allowed some idols in your life to consume you, I would like to do the bravest thing you'll do is make a decision, because it's never too late, by God's grace, that we can come back to him and recommit to the God's word and rebuild that altar, deal with your sin, and focus your attention on him again. If 